0: Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. (laughs) Welcome to the Parasite Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Marie. And this is part two of the light bulb about Henry Wachtell.
1: If you haven't listened to part one, you might want to go do that right now. We'll wait for you right here. In part one, we talked about the very interesting parents of Henry. They are both peripherally involved in the entertainment industry. Henry and his mother had a very conflicted relationship. Henry talked about wanting to murder his mother, hating her, loving her, and protecting her. But Henry also has a drug problem which he cultivated at a very young age and his personality, combined with his drug use and health problems, led to his mother's demise. While in a postical state, which is a state that happens post-epileptic attack, Henry murdered his mother. Today, we're going to talk about how Henry maneuvers as he tries to relinquish his responsibility for what happened to his mother, and why he never quite succeeds. now confident he wouldn't be held responsible for his mother's death, decided he was safe to just be himself. The doctors and staff got a very clear idea of who this kid was. In their treatment notes, he was described as intrusive, impulsive, argumentative, and disrespectful to both staff and patients. It wasn't that he had an issue with authority, he had a problem with everybody. And it wasn't like he had any willingness to do things differently. When he caused problems, which happened frequently, he would never take responsibility. He would just deny or minimize his actions. He stayed up late and then missed therapy because he was napping, sometimes falling asleep in the middle of therapy. He also alienated his peers as accommodations were made by staff in efforts to connect him with services While he was completely off the chain with his attitude and his disrespect, he was busy pushing limits, violating rules, and messing with the girls in the program whom he'd been told to stay away from. It got so bad that he was required to sign a no-contact order regarding the girls. Wow. Yeah. But he didn't care. He just kept right on messing with them, and the girls were not having it. Staff was having to discipline him for his unwanted advances, and the corrections just made him angry. He'd lash out at the staff and the girls he'd harassed. He didn't care, and he had some fairly crude ideas regarding what the treatment team could do with their rules. Oh my. Mm Mm-hmm. He was more than a handful. So then he began manipulating staff, asking each one individually until he got whatever it was that he wanted. He told everyone he was just here so he didn't have to be in Rikers and so the court would look more favorably on him during the first instant hearing. In August of 2015, Henry's privileges were downgraded due to all of his shenanigans. He begged staff, after most of his disciplinary actions, not to record his failures because they would make him look bad in his upcoming dangerousness hearing. That's all that mattered to him. He also discussed his lack of engagement with his treatment in a group therapy session. He started by minimizing his behaviors, but the group held fast to the fact that he was wrong. He switched it up a little bit and began justifying his behaviors and again got nowhere with his peers so he began targeting the staff it became clear that henry was never going to take responsibility for his actions and decisions he was observed to have inappropriate affect impaired judgment and a poor appreciation of the seriousness of his situation immediately after that henry began to look compliant to say the right things when he knew the people who mattered were listening He continued to lie about his drug and alcohol problems, but they were onto him. They knew he had a huge polysubstance use disorder. He would say what he'd done to his mother had really sunk in and it hit him hard. He just wanted to die so he wouldn't feel the pain, but he'd be threatening or fighting with another inmate shortly thereafter. He really had problems with anger and impulse control. And it was like what he said didn't match what he did. But it was only a couple of months later, near the anniversary of his entering treatment at Arbor Place, that Henry told his counselor in all sincerity about his ongoing love of illicit drugs and partying. And again, the counselor was very concerned regarding Henry's ability to succeed at sobriety. Henry left Arbor Place on November 4, 2015,
0: and Henry was returned to Kirby. So, kind of full circle, the court ordered him to Kirby in the beginning, right? Right. Pretty much Henry remained at
1: Rikers for the following year, and it sounds like he got on everyone's last nerve. He was always seeking medications and claiming to have seizures that no one had observed as he sought to obtain controlled medications like Xanax. His dad got involved in trying to obtain medications for him. And of course, Henry continued to behave exactly as he had while at View.
0: It's so interesting that his dad keeps getting involved in his prescription management.
1: Yeah, I think that it's really unwise.
0: hmm
1: But I think that his dad, of course, was just sitting there and going, oh, they're just not taking care of him. They don't care
0: about him. He needs his own room. Yes. It's um, camp.
1: Yeah, I don't think that he's understanding how important it is that his son experiences some consequences. Right. So he continued to minimize his role in his mother's murder by telling one of the mental health workers that his mother had died, actually while he was incarcerated. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, like, ludicrous. It is, um, because, of course, they would know why he was there. Mm -hmm. But he also refused substance abuse treatment because he loved getting high. He didn't see a problem. He was completely noncompliant with his medications, and he continued to have seizures, both real and feigned. And his dad was working behind the scenes to get his son out of Rikers and into a treatment facility. This eventually worked. In May of 2013, the court allowed him to be moved from Rikers and into an intensive inpatient psychiatric facility at the
0: University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, good for his dad. It sounds like Henry had a bunch of issues and that treatment center seems like it could be a good fit for him. It
1: could have been, but it's kind of like that old psychology joke. How many psychologists does it take to
0: change a light bulb? I know this one. The answer is only one. The light bulb really has to want to change itself. That's right, and Henry was not
1: ready. His father had presented his case to the treatment center claiming he needed to get some serious adjustments, recover from his substance use disorder, and learn to regulate his sleep in an effort to reduce the number of seizures he was having. His father also reported that Henry was struggling with depression and suicidal ideations. Henry told them a little different story. He announced he was only there because no other facility would accept him. He did want help with his sleep issues, but he didn't really need help with his drug and alcohol issues. As far as he was concerned, those were off the table because they were not a problem. Again? Mm hmm. It seems like throughout his life so far, the main theme has been that he will not stop using alcohol and drugs.
0: Mm hmm. Um, no true. matter how bad it gets. That's really true.
1: Yeah. Oh, and also, he said that he would kill himself before he went back to Rikers. Oh, my. Yeah. He requested his own room again, claiming he worried about harming roommates in his sleep. And although he said some weird stuff that people took as suicidal, the psychiatrist did not agree that Henry was depressed or even suicidal. Time and again, Henry tried to snow everyone at the facility by telling them he did not have a drug problem. He could quit any time he felt like it. But he did admit he'd probably have a hard time quitting cocaine. That was his drug of choice. He told them he was still on Keppra for his seizures, omitting that he rarely took it as prescribed, although he did use it to enhance his highs. They administered a battery of tests which showed Henry to be dramatic, oppositional, angry, resentful, and, of course, emotionally dysregulated. The psychiatrist also noted a concern that Henry did not have much remorse for the murder of his mother. He was much more interested in just moving on. Isn't that sad? It is really sad. His psychiatrist diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder. He constantly told
0: staff that that was the past. He was different now and didn't want to talk about it. It seems like you hear that a lot from people who do really terribly egregious things.
1: Yeah, and I think the antisocial personality disorder doesn't come as much of a surprise because of that duality where Mm -hmm. he's at home abusing his mother, but in public saying, oh, I love her so much. Yeah. So... Of course, when it came to drug abuse, his addiction specialist found him to be highly resistant to treatment, lacking greatly in insight, and unable to stop using as a result. Henry continued to tell them that drug use had nothing to do with the problem at hand. He proudly told other residents he was still a menace to society, but once they could get his epilepsy under control, he was out of there and would be back to partying once again. But, Henry remained acutely aware of the true reason he was there. He told staff that he was only there for legal reasons. This stint was meant to get him out of trouble because he could say he'd received treatment and had the epilepsy under control. He was under the impression that that was the only problem here. Not that he'd killed his own mother, or not that he was deep into a maladaptive lifestyle. The real problem, according to Henry, was, quote, I didn't know the doctors here were psychiatrists. I have to go back to jail now because I didn't tell them the truth. I've been fucked over. Wow, that kid. I know, and quite a mouth on him, right? Right. He and his family were really gaming the system
0: hard here, too.
1: I know, and you would think that his father would uh, take it as a wake-up call that his other parent had been murdered over this. Right. Whether Henry was conscious or not, his drug use was a factor in that murder.
0: Oh, absolutely, because that's what had created the epilepsy. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So if he murdered her in a postictal state, the drugs contributed, and his refusal to use Keppra appropriately contributed. And if it wasn't, it was because he was mad at her because he was using drugs. And
0: wanted to have a good excuse, wanted that perfect crime. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So either way, they were a problem, and you would think his dad would care. Right. As far as Henry was concerned, he was just there because they wanted to be able to say he'd received treatment and was now all better so he could be released at the first dangerousness hearing.
0: He was good to go since he was better.
1: And he was right about one thing. He was not fooling the experts.
0: Okay. Getting treatment prior to your instant hearing is supposed to be getting treatment, not just wasting a bed in a treatment facility.
1: And that's the problem with gaming the system or trying to. Mm -hmm. You have to actually make the changes and be willing to give up the things that are messing you up if you want it to make a difference to the courts. True. But you'd be surprised at how many people think this looking good to the courts is what it's all about.
0: So. I'm sure that he took a lot of advice from his father and his attorney about looking good to the courts. Mm-hmm. And he probably was aware of that himself. Yeah. But such bad advice for a kid who has all these problems.
1: Yeah. And I think that they think that they're persuading the kid to actually try, but it's not helpful. Mm-mm. And it's clear that he had been talked to about making this work looking like he was complying because when the staff had held a meeting to confront him about his resistance to treatment, he became confrontational and aggressive with the staff. Wow. Yeah. He was screaming at them about how that information had better not get back to the courts. (laughs) Yeah. He's trying to threaten people when he doesn't have any leverage left. Mm -hmm. But when that didn't seem to move them, he reverted to teary eyed pleading.
0: Well, he did consider himself a really good actor. Yeah, I guess his treatment professionals didn't, though. (laughs) And,
1: sadly, he was sitting there, wasting a bed, squandering an opportunity to actually get himself right, because he was so busy thinking he was clever and getting himself out of hot water. Nevertheless, they drew up a treatment plan for him, and were shocked when he responded with frequent bouts of anger and displays of extremely (laughs) low frustration tolerance. He continued to tell his treatment team he would kill himself before he would return to Rikers. He really didn't like it at Rikers Island.
0: They probably had really
1: strict rules. I'm sure they did. Regarding the Keppra, the staff neurologist took him off of Keppra and replaced it with Depakote. At the end of his three months with the University of Mississippi Medical Center, he was complying with his medication and therapy, and the staff were pleased to report that he was much less irritable, angry, and argumentative. So one thing is his discharge note indicated that Henry did not fit the classic description of violent automatism triggered by epilepsy. Wow. They noted he could probably get to a place where he would not be in danger of reoffending if he would strictly comply with his medication regimen and scrupulously avoid seizure-inducing activities such as not sleeping and using illicit
0: drugs. I'm not sure Henry can get there. What do you think? He doesn't want to. Mm -mm. Um, And I don't think it's going to happen. Those treatment and release notes are saying this guy is never getting better, don't you think? I think so,
1: because he's made it very clear that partying is the one thing in his life he won't give up. Right. So, back at Rikers, Henry was annoyed he'd been referred for psychiatric treatment. He didn't want therapy, just drugs. He told his social worker that the stint at University of Mississippi was just a way of getting out of jail that his lawyer had set up. He and his attorney decided he needed to get into a drug treatment program next to bolster his case. They were completely ignoring the fact that Henry had no intention to quit using illicit substances. In fact, he had been heavily into alcohol, opioids, and heroin since he'd come back from the treatment center. But to him, It was all about looking good in court, not actually making any changes. Like when he found out his treatment notes indicated a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, he threw a fit. He, his father, and his attorney wanted that changed so it wouldn't affect his outcome in court. His treatment team relented and changed the diagnosis to unspecified personality disorder as a compromise. But... Of course, the change also became part of the treatment notes.
0: I guess they didn't think about that part, right? I guess they didn't. But I guess it softens it a little bit. To have it in his treatment notes that he has an antisocial personality and that they were forced to change the diagnosis for court? Well, maybe they hadn't written that it was forced. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the idea was. I'm sure there was meeting held, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Changed as per request. Yeah, probably. Because they're they're really clear in their treatment notes, usually, what happened, so that they can go back and trace why things happened, especially if they're changing a diagnosis. Yeah, that is pretty important to
1: document. So on November 16th, 2015, Henry was evaluated by the doctors at Kirby, and those doctors noted Henry worked hard to present himself in a positive light, telling them he had already learned everything he needed to know to become a free man. The doctors noted the complete lack of self-reflection... Without shedding a tear, Henry described his relationship with his mother as full of conflict, but also full of love, and remained emotionless as he described the murder. Um. He told these doctors that he was committed to sobriety, which is weird because he had never tried to achieve sobriety, and to creating a lifestyle that would optimally control his seizures, which, again, he'd never bothered doing while in treatment, and, unbelievably... The in-charge doctor bought his sad demeanor and lies and determined he was ready to be moved from a maximum security facility to a less secure one. That's insane. I know, but you also have to understand that every person they keep is a huge hassle for them. So maybe it was just moving him along. That's true. They had worse people to
0: deal with. Mm -hmm. Well, did they?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like he had become less violent with other people around him, so... That had to be a relief for the treatment center. That's true. So, happy with this outcome, Henry went right back to his old ways. He argued with staff, broke rules, and began telling his therapist that what had killed his mother was a freak accident, never showing any remorse. When called on this lack of remorse, Henry reported, Of course I feel bad. I have no mother. Which is a very self-centered way to say it.
0: Since you killed her.
1: Well, especially considering that the way that she died had to be incredibly painful. Yes. And I think, as someone who doesn't know his mother, it's upsetting to me that she went through that. It's shocking that he would not be upset by the pain she had to endure. I agree. So, he continued breaking rules and doing as he pleased, responding with only anger and resistance to anyone who dared try to tell him what he needed to do. At one point, he referred to a psychologist as a fucking bitch. Wow. Yeah, he's just... Very mean. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When he was busted, he lobbied hard to have his behaviors buried because he was worried about how he would be viewed by the courts.
0: He needs to worry about that before he behaves, not after he behaves. Mm -hmm. And at this point, he should be very worried about how the courts are going to view him. But he's got the wrong end of that stick. The therapy notes don't need to be altered. His attitude and behaviors do. Exactly. And that's all it would take. But that wasn't going
1: to happen. On November 9th, 2016, Henry got extremely ill and was taken to the emergency room against his will. He tested positive for opiates. Now, remember, he's in prison, and so, of course, they discovered he'd been having a friend smuggle opiates into Kirby for quite some time. Wow. Yeah. So, at this point, this was absolutely a wake-up call for his attending psychiatrist, and he noted Henry had been devoting himself to deceiving staff—at least the Mm decision-makers, not everyone— rather than enlisting their aid in his treatment.
0: This is the one he fooled when he first came back. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: He's losing allies left and right because Mm -hmm. he's not trying. Yeah. So the attending psychiatrist was doubting Henry's claim that he had come to Kirby one year drug-free, saying, given his lack of commitment to sobriety and his determination to pursue drugs in spite of severe legal consequences, Henry remained a danger to himself and others. You think? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad that the psychiatrist was in the end not fooled, but Henry once again found himself locked up in a secure facility. Dr. Hicks and his associates again interviewed Henry. This time, he could clearly see the slick, intellectualized manner in which Henry answered their questions. He had the evidence in hand showing that what Henry claimed was completely disconnected with what he did, and Henry's chances Mm -hmm. were over. Henry was still convinced he was getting out of this little snafu soon. And instead of working to get better, he was busy making plans on how to resume life on the outside. And he was fairly sure he'd figured it all out. He would go after his mother's estate. She could pay for his life on the outside.
0: That's not possible.
1: You would think not, right? Because right. of slayer laws. Mm-hmm. But he'd been found not criminally responsible for her murder, So, he was pretty sure the Slayer rule would not apply to him. He believed he was entitled to that inheritance, regardless of what anybody thought. Loophole. Mm Mm-hmm. And very dark, right? Mm -hmm. That all he's worried about is what he will get from her. Right. So, shortly after he pled guilty, he had contacted the teacher's retirement system to find out how much money they were holding for him. And he was still angry that they claimed that money wasn't his.
0: (gasps) My goodness.
1: Yeah. They wouldn't tell him anything. They told him that they would need a court order to talk to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, on March 29th, 2017, his 24th birthday, he sued them, filing a claim to whatever money might be there, and he won. What? Mm-hmm. In November of 2018, he was awarded $312,400, with an additional $37,373 in interest.
0: That's insane. I wonder what he's going to do with that money if he never gets out. I don't know. I guess he'll buy lots of ramen at the commissary. I guess. That's a ton of ramen, though. He might get sick of it. (laughs) So, did New York change their slayer laws in response to this win? Because that's a pretty big loophole. Actually, New York doesn't have a Slayer law. What? Yeah,
1: they just have a Slayer rule based on case precedent springing from Riggs v. Palmer way back in 1889. Hmm. Some kid named Elmer Riggs knew he was named in his wealthy grandfather's will, and he did not want to wait for his money. So, he poisoned Grandpa. Oh my. I know, but his mom and his aunt were having none of that. They jointly filed a lawsuit trying to bar him from inheriting saying he should not be allowed to profit from his own crime. The judge agreed with his mom, so Elmer never inherited, and this became the law governing New York. Huh. So the Slayer Rule in New York is called the Riggs Rule, and there isn't a law on the books that
0: could be revised. That's such a surprise. It seems like every state's laws are different from other states. Exactly, and that's why prospective law students are usually
1: really careful to apply for school in states where they want to live, Because the law school does teach federal law, the same for all states, but the state law will always be specific to that state.
0: Yeah, I've heard that before. I don't think most people going to law school understand that, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Back to the record on Henry's adventures through treatment land. (laughs) On December 1st, 2017, Henry was returned to Rikers Island to await the results of his instant hearing. The exit notes did him no favors and all of his dirty laundry would come out at the instant hearing. As a matter of fact, they probably needed a few extra clothes signs. The records indicated Henry consistently focused on legal remedies to get transferred from Kirby rather than contributory risk factors that led to the murder of his mother, such as anger, personality issues, long-term conflict with others, substance abuse, etc., Henry's judgment and insight were limited, and he was still hyper-focused on his legal issues, such as being transferred to a civil setting or another ward, as he believes he is unfairly treated by staff, arising from limits placed on his behavior, resulting from verbal altercations with female staff in particular. So, all of that sounds like he continues to have problems, especially with women, always with women in authority. And with regulating himself in general. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And entitlement.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. The notes described how he would become irritable and angry and discussed his continued lack of insight regarding his drug misuse, his psychiatric symptoms, and his dysfunctional behaviors. Henry has difficulty demonstrating insight into persistent risk factors that have led to his continued retention, especially his anger towards others.
0: I'm sure that made Henry crazy angry when he realized all of these notes were going to be reviewed by the courts. Instead of being clever, he'd squandered those chances for any kind of treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. And it just got worse.
1: Dr. Hicks had not appreciated being duped, and this time he was thorough in his diagnosis of Henry. To his chagrin, Henry was now diagnosed as having oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, ADHD... Other specified depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, alcohol use disorder, cannabis use disorder, stimulant use disorder, opioid use disorder, sedative, hypnotic, or anxiolytic disorder, hallucinogenic disorder, and inhalant use disorder.
0: Wow, let's just throw that DSM 4 book at him. Yeah. Maybe it was the five, but that's a lot of disorders. And essentially all the drugs. He has problems with every drug. All the drug. drugs. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And Dr. Hicks also helpfully memorialized how Henry had charmed and manipulated the staff at Arbor Place and had even tricked him at first. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. Poor Henry. I know. It makes clear how dangerous he is Mm -hmm. and how, despite having anger issues, he's more than willing to try and be nice to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. He concluded saying Henry had not benefited from substance abuse treatment and was only engaged in the manipulation of treatment providers with his end goal of getting out of trouble with the law.
0: I think he's spot on. Mm hmm.
1: But even worse, he noted Henry's lifelong preoccupation with violence and
0: suggested it may have played
1: a role in his mother's murder.
0: Which is what we thought. Mm hmm.
1: I mean, you can't fill your head with violence every day forever and not commit an act of violence ever. True. Especially if you're frequently out of control of yourself. Mm hmm. So, Dr. Hicks recommended that Henry remained confined in a secure
0: facility. That seems solid. Mm-hmm.
1: And Dr. Hicks' colleague, Dr. Belfie, concurred, but he took it one step further, saying that the earlier one engages in these behaviors, the more likely it is that these behaviors will continue through adolescence and adulthood. He noted that Henry had been using cocaine since the age of 12, and Henry's prognosis recovery was thus much less than favorable. Mhm. He worried about Henry's lack of remorse for the murder of his mother and that his proclivity for blaming the murder on a medical condition instead of taking responsibility for his actions did indeed leave him an ongoing danger to others and himself. He opined that Henry showed time and time again that he was too preoccupied with impression management. Remember that term from episode 20, Anything for Love? I do. Tyler Witt, right? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Belfi concluded that Henry's unwillingness to understand how his actions led up to the murder and his failure to learn from experience continued to render him dangerous. He also recommended that Henry remain at a secure mental facility.
0: That seems like the professionals are all thinking he needs to stay in a secure facility. Yeah,
1: and I think it would be really hard to disagree with them. But I think their scheming kind of blew up on Henry and his dad.
0: Yeah, I do too.
1: His dad had worked hard to get him various treatment options. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted him in a psychiatric hospital, as a lot of parents of, you know, criminals do, Mm -hmm. thinking that he could get out more quickly. But then instead of pushing his son to engage in the messy work of recovery, he convinced him he just needed to look good for the courts. And I think a lot of parents who are trying really hard to keep their child out of prison lose sight of the true end goal, which should be
0: changed behavior. That's really sad and kind of tragic, but I can kind of see how it happens. I know. It's really sad, and unfortunately,
1: it happens too often. True. But there was a third doctor. Do you want to know what he said? Sure. Dr. Katsumanis noted that Henry continued to show signs of entitlement, poor impulsivity, poor frustration tolerance, poor judgment, and that anger and aggression were his default responses in times of stress and adversity.
0: That seems to nail it.
1: Yeah. She recounted how Henry had bullied and intimidated other inmates at Kirby and became confrontational, combative, and verbally abusive to the treatment staff. She observed that Henry, quote, has had trouble his entire life with following rules, controlling his impulses, and his rage and concluded that if he is unable to follow the rules in a secure facility, the likelihood that he is going to be able to do that in a less secure facility is low. Additionally, the defendant's history of poor compliance with prescribed medication and a flippant attitude towards psychotherapy suggests a pretty high likelihood that he would not be in compliance or engage in treatment if not mandated. Most of this diagnosis, by the way, is straight from the court transcripts. Dr. Katzmanis continued, explaining that the defendant's disregard of medical advice, ongoing alcohol and drug abuse, self-medication, sleep deprivation, and lack of compliance with prescribed medication all contributed to Henry's actions on the day of the murder, despite his denial of any culpability.
0: I mean, that makes him pretty darn culpable, even if he lacked mens rea.
1: Mm -hmm. Even if he had a seizure, he was having seizures in large part because of the way that he decided to live. Right. This doctor suspected that deep down inside, Henry most likely felt some sort of remorse for murdering his mother. Nevertheless, his insight was lacking as he continued to describe the murder as a freak accident. His attitude towards recovery was overly confident, and he failed to understand the interplay between the importance of complying with his medications and abstaining from illicit substances and maintaining good sleep in terms of regulating his epilepsy. Dr. Katzmanis therefore concluded that she believed Henry had a dangerous mental disorder,
0: warranting continued treatment in a secure facility. That's amazing. It seems like they did, after this large period of time, get everything right. Yeah, they had a really good read on what was going on with him. And I think it's
1: really interesting that he kept calling it a freak accident and acting like that wasn't terrifying. If I had a condition that made me murder someone... I don't think I'd want to be let out until I was sure it would never happen again. And he continued to have seizures. Right. They didn't take any of this seriously, though. How is he supposed to, though, if this is truly what happened, feel safe ever sleeping in a building where there are other people again if he could just wake up murdering someone? but Henry and his attorney had a few arguments of their own. First up was a doctor from Minnesota's Department of Human Services. He was confident that Henry was just fine. He'd sobered up while at Arbor Place and seemed to be more at peace while at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. He believed Henry's prognosis was
0: rather good. He even remembered Henry expressing an interest in remaining seizure-free. But didn't he say he wanted to be seizure-free so he could get back to his rave life? He did, but I guess this doctor had selective hearing. Yeah, (laughs) I think so, but that's not the only issue here. Henry has never expressed remorse regarding what he did to his mother. Has this doctor even met Henry? Well, this doctor does seem to be a bit out of touch, but... Henry got
1: to choose who he brought to the hearing, and perhaps this was for the best. He opined the chances of Henry having another seizure was very low. It's like he waved goodbye from the front porch of the University of Minnesota Medical Center and never bothered inquiring about him again. Even once. Yeah. He eventually did admit that Henry would probably miss his old rave life once he returned home to his old environment. Henry's biggest issue was most likely going to be substance abuse issues. When pressed, this doctor recommended that Henry be released and then immediately voluntarily place himself in an inpatient residential treatment facility for substance use disorder.
0: Voluntarily? Ha, we both know that won't happen. If they release this kid, he's out of there. And the other team already knows what this doctor may never figure out. Did Henry have any other experts to back him up or tell his side? Well, he had Dr. Cohen up next. I think
1: she was an alienist who Henry had hired specifically to
0: testify at this instant hearing. Okay, that seems super weird. Why would he hire an alien? (laughs) Not quite an alienist. Hmm.
1: It's a psychiatrist who is hired specifically to assess the competence of a person who will then appear in a trial or an instant hearing to testify as to your competence. They usually run a battery of tests and then spend some time interviewing the person.
0: So she listened to his BS stories that he told everyone, but she never had to live with him. Like the psychologist who had witnessed his terrible behaviors. Exactly. She never had him inpatient, but she had interviewed
1: him. Dr. Cohen also diagnosed him with a string of disorders but they were a little bit less harsh than some of the other doctors had opined, but they still included substance use disorder and narcissistic traits. This alienist was, of course, paid by Henry's defense team and was predictably convinced Henry was going to be just fine. Except for that one episode, he
0: hadn't had any other seizures. That one episode? He had a ton of seizures back when he was having that friend smuggle drugs into him at the high security facility...
1: Well, that's actually what Dr. Cohen was referring to as that one episode, glossing over the fact that it had lasted over a period of several months and was directly tied to Henry's illicit drug use. The doctor also glossed over Henry's history of anger and disrespect, saying that was all possibly just a description
0: of normal teenaged angst. Um, is this person saying all of this because Henry's attorney was paying her? It's complicated,
1: Sort of. Usually an alienist will come up with conclusions, and the side that likes the answers best will hire her as their expert witness. So these were her answers, and then, of course, the prosecution didn't want to hire her with that opinion. Right. So, anyway, Dr. Cohen opined that Henry was a low risk for relapse and a low risk for overdose.
0: What? Did this alienist ever meet Henry?
1: (laughs) It's okay, Dr. Cohen said, and I quote, Oh, wait, I didn't mean let him loose on the streets and he'd be fine. I meant this kid needs to be in a psychiatric setting, just not a secure one. Oh. So even his alienist is saying, oh, no, he definitely needs to be inpatient." Mm-hmm. So now that Henry was older and more mature than when he murdered his mother, Dr. Cohen was sure he had greater insight, a better understanding of his illness, and his need to control his drug use. Cohen was sure it was time for Henry to move on to residential treatment for substance abuse issues.
0: Yeah, she definitely never met him. (laughs) Or really not in a real-life situation anyway.
1: Yeah, one of his biggest issues continued to be a lack of insight.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So despite everyone from this group was on his side, they all thought he needed to remain in an inpatient drug treatment program, and they were saying, with completely straight faces that they believed Henry was going to voluntarily enter drug rehab and then remain in the drug treatment center? Well,
1: yes, but that's what they're supposed to do. They have to do their best to make Henry look good without perjuring themselves in court. But that was it for Henry's defense. That was everybody.
0: Well, I know this is a weird question, but if he pled not guilty by reason of insanity and that plea was accepted, he was basically found innocent, right? Why didn't he just go home? That's a good question, and the answer
1: is complicated, but the long and short of it is that if you plead guilty by reason of insanity, you are not free. You are now a ward of the court and will remain in mental institutions until you are deemed
0: no longer a threat to yourself or society. Oh, okay. So that's that criminal, non-voluntary commitment we were talking about earlier, right? That's right. Okay. So it's kind of like the court is your parent, but they send you to boarding
1: school. So you're still stuck with the court hearings, like this instant hearing that Henry was trying to get out from under the court jurisdiction with, and you don't have to go to prison. But again, the downside is your time is not what will get you out like it can in prison. You can't wait it out. You have to put in the work because you don't have a sentence, just a promise that when you are better, you will be released. And better for Henry looked like it was going to be a very, very long road. Oh, yeah. So, another thing is that instant hearings do not have juries. It's more like a bench trial. The judge hears all the evidence and then makes the decision. It would all come down to whether the judge believed Henry still had a
0: dangerous mental disorder. Not like this was going to be a difficult decision for the judge, right? It doesn't appear so to me, but if you aren't in the courtroom, it
1: can be really hard to make the right call every time, you know? True. So, despite the assurances from Henry's defense team, the judge could see there were some serious problems with Henry. The judge was seeing consistent patterns of substance abuse and lack of insight. The judge noted that in 2013, Henry denied he was in treatment at the University of Minnesota Medical Center for anything but legal reasons, saying his lawyer had set that gig up to get him out of prison. True. That doesn't sound good to a judge. No. Yeah. And then when he returned to Rikers in July of that year, he expressed annoyance at being referred to psychiatric treatment. He wasn't interested in psychiatric treatment and he didn't need
0: it. He just needed his medications so he could get out of there and get back to the party. He is not looking good regardless of what he made them put in his records.
1: I know. And then, while in Arbor Place, he spent most of his time resisting treatment and routinely missed programming, addiction meetings, and therapy sessions. In 2017, after all of these chances for treatment, Henry still denied he had a problem. He didn't want to deal with the murder of his mother, saying that happened a long time ago and everybody needed to just get over it and move on. His lack of insight, his consistent refusal to enter serious treatment for his substance use disorder, his pretentious and argumentative attitude, as manifested by him ignoring staff, calling staff names, and doing as he pleased, all pointed to Henry still being a danger to himself and others. That he minimized his addictions, spent a lot of time in drug-seeking activity, and spent the rest of his time sneaking heroin into the psychiatric centers until he got caught did not work in his favor. In fact, nothing was working in his favor because he was constantly working against himself. And then there were all of those threats to kill himself. As a teen, he had fantasies about killing others and had threatened to choke and kill his mother prior to murdering her. The judge strongly believed that all of this evidence pointed to Henry being exactly where he belonged.
0: I like that. I do too.
1: Henry... Who had thought getting sent for psychiatric treatment after pleading not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect in the murder of his mother was just so clever, found out that prison wasn't the thing he should have been worried about. Psychiatric treatment meant he had gamed himself into the craziest conundrum ever. If he was ever to get released from court jurisdiction, he was going to have to actually tackle his substance use disorder and his sleep disorder, take responsibility for what he'd done, and start gaining insight into how his behaviors were creating problems for him and others, especially his mother. Which is so interesting, because if he had just done the work before he killed his mother, none of this would have happened, and he still has to do the work. And it sucks for him. And his mother.
0: Well, it more than sucks for his mother.
1: Because it's clear that they were mostly fighting because he wouldn't do the work get off of drugs, and take care of himself. And they wouldn't have had that conflict if he had just buckled down when he was a teenager. And he would have been free to live his life. And Mm -hmm. now he's not free, his mother is dead, and he's never done the work.
0: Very true. And that's how we'll leave this story. The light bulb has not been released from court custody because he is going to have to decide to change himself.
1: We would like to thank the New York Post, Legal.com, the New York Times, the New York Daily News, Crime Reads, the Daily Mail, Justia, RateMyProfessors.com, DNAInfo.com, RateMyTeachers.com, The Fordham Ram, The Gothamist, Agnes Film, and The Buffalo News the
0: information and pictures we used in telling this story. And we'd also like to thank Jade Brown for the music. She does such beautiful work. Yes. And most of all, we'd like to thank you, our listeners. Your support means the world to us. Absolutely. And this has been the Parasite Podcast. And remember, always sleep with one eye open. Ashes Ashes, we all fall down.